The views expressed herein reflect the views of the Whistler Agency as of the date of publication. These views may change as conditions change. The views expressed herein are not intended and should not be construed as investment advice, and they do not address any individual's specific situation. Welcome to Whistler While You Retire with Tim Whistler from the Whistler Agency. Here you will learn how Tim helps clients avoid taking unnecessary risks in retirement. With a fiduciary responsibility, Tim's mission is to help retirees and soon-to-be retirees create a greater sense of confidence about their retirement plan. Now, on to the show. What the heck is an RMD? You may have heard the phrase from people talking about retirement, but what does it mean for you? Tim Whistler is here to give you the ins and outs and a little ammunition if your brother-in-law starts pontificating at the next family gathering. I'm Patrice Sikora. Uh, Tim, I know RMD translates as required minimum distribution, mm -hmm. but you are the ranger here. Take us through the retirement wilderness and explain, please. Absolutely. Well, it's a fun journey, and especially if we can bring our brother-in-law, you know, along. Uh -oh. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Must with it. Must yeah, we? <laughs> exactly. Well, I guess it depends upon what family function we're at and how, you know, if we drove ourselves and we can leave early or whatever the case may be. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. But no, I mean, RMDs, you know, they, they truly are an important part of the retirement income conversation. And it's something that, you know, again, I think a few people are familiar with. Some people, it kind of catches them off guard, but it's important to understand what an RMD does. And, and so I kind of just have a few, you know, general questions just to introduce people to this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a big one is, is, you know, how, how do I calculate my RMD? How do I ca calculate what I owe to the RM, you know, to the IRS, mm -hmm. you know, how, you know, how, you know, what are the rules for beneficiaries? So for example, if, you know, if we pass away and there's an IRA that we have, um, and we're going to pass on down to our, you know, to our kids, you know, how does that play out? And, you know, another big one is, you know, how do I really know if my asset allocations are appropriate for my RMDs? Mm. And it's just something to think about because, you know, every now and then I get the question, you know, why did RMDs, where'd they come from? Why do they even exist in the first place? Why don't you answer that? Let's start there. <laughs> so yeah. if, you, if you think back a few decades, you know, back a few years ago, you know, companies would offer people, you know, a pension. So you could work for, you know, ABC company for 45 years, you get a gold watch and retire with a pension, mm -hmm. right? That's what they call a defined benefit plan. So, you know, in exchange for a number of years of working there, they would say to you, we're going to give you a defined benefit, right? Well, as, as the years unfolded, the company started to transition away from a defined benefit and go more into the defined contribution environment. And, and this is where now all of a sudden they're saying, well, you know, we're no longer going to really help assist you with your own retirement funds in the, in the form of a pension, but we'll help you if you want to contribute to, for example, a 401k. Mm -hmm. And when we can, when we do this, we're able to, you know, do this kind of on a pre-tax basis. So, it, it, you know, if we contribute, you know, X amount of dollars of our paycheck to the 401k, it kind of comes off pre-tax and the, in the, in the company that we work for, you know, may or may not match, you know, a percentage of that contribution. So, you know, it, it's kind of a way for us as consumers to kind of save for our retirement. But the IRS is still involved because the fact of because this money has never been taxed, the IRS has a seat at your table mm -hmm. when you go to pull these funds out, right? 
RMDs must be withdrawn. And because the IRS says, okay, you know, we're going to allow you to have these funds sit here, whether you take them or not, until the age of 72. That that age, that's when you need to start taking money out, hence the phrase required minimum distributions. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. So with this, this is where a little bit of confusion comes in because we had a, a law change here a couple of years ago where previously the age was 70 and a half. Now, again, I don't know what, where the half comes from. I think it's just so that it can be difficult. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, they change it to 72. So basically it says, you know, let's say for example, you know, we're almost done here in, in 2021. So let's give the example of, of Bob's listening in. He's turning in 72 in 2022. Okay. So his first distribution from his IRA account is due by April 1st of the year after he turns 72. So okay. actually when he's 73. It, it, it depended upon, yes. It, it depended upon if his birthday is after April or before, that, that sort of thing. Okay. Okay. So we just have to be, you know, we, we have to be aware of that from the standpoint of, okay, well, if I'm turning 72 in 2022, my RMD for that year is due by April 1st, okay, of that following year. However, all future distributions are due by December 31st of each year thereafter. So here's my little nugget of free advice. If somebody decides to wait for their RMD when they turn 72 and they wait till that following year, they're going to have to take a second one by the end of that calendar year. Taxes, taxes. You got it. Because if they miss that and the IRS finds out, they don't just say, oh, it's okay. You know, everybody makes mistakes. No, no, no. (laughs) They're going to come back (laughs) with a 50% penalty on the amount that was supposed to have been withdrawn. So let's just keep it very simple using simple math. Let's say that RMD was gonna be $6,000 and we forgot. Oops, our mistake. The IRS finds out they're gonna charge you another 3,000 as a penalty on that RMD. So what should have just required you to take out six out of your IRA, now you gotta take out nine because three of that's gonna go to the IRS as a penalty. So it's very important for people to understand, you know, when we're going to elect those RMDs, if we're, if we're not already, if we're already taking money out of an, of an IRS and our withdrawals are greater than the distribution amount, then it's okay. It's a moot point. But we just have to be aware that as we up in age and we get closer to 72, if we're not already drawing income from it, we need to make sure that we follow the rules set by the IRS. Who knows all those rules? Do they change? Seriously. Well, yes, they do change. And this is where, you know, we really make sure that, you know, as, as professionals, our job is to keep in touch with resources that provide us with this information. You know, this is where I, you know, I lean heavily upon, you know, CPA, just making sure that, you know, with the resources that I have, and when I'm talking to a CPA, and as they're making adv- making recommendations to a client, you know, on their tax situation, we need to make sure that everybody's on the same page. A a lot of companies, now I can't say that we learned a long time ago, we're never supposed to say never, never supposed to say always, right? (laughs) (laughs) We get in trouble. But in the the perfect world, if a person has an IRA at either a bank or an investment firm or an insurance company, you know, technically that firm is supposed, you know, supposed to send out a reminder to that client saying, hey, Bob, you're turning 72 this year. Don't forget about your RMD. Okay, they're supposed to do that. So in in, in the big picture, that's probably going to happen frequently. But again, we want to make sure that we are our own advocate and make sure we don't miss that. Tim, what if you have several different accounts? Can you take it from just one account or do you have to take it from every single account? 
Well, that's that's actually a fantastic question, Patrice, because when you break down, you know, qualified funds, you know, qualified funds meaning the ones that are subject to RMD taxes. Let me just give you a very brief example here. We'll kind of keep this as simple as we can. So let's say we've got somebody who's turning 72, like Bob. And let's say Bob has a million dollars in savings. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bob has two different IRAs and Bob has a 401k and Bob has a 403b, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is, well, we'll just divide these into four. So he has 250,000 in each of these four accounts. So let's talk about the IRA accounts first. The IRS does not care where the RMD comes from when it comes to an IRA account. So if Bob has two of them, and just for simple math, let's say because he has a half a million dollars, let's say his RMD is 20,000, okay? Mm-hmm. The IRS does not care if Bob splits the 20,000 between the two IRA accounts, if he goes 60, 40, 90, 10, they don't care. So he can, he can take his RMD from a combination of the accounts when it comes to IRAs. Mm-hmm. But- on the other accounts, the accounts that all start with four, 401k, 403b, 457, we cannot take an RMD as a combination from those accounts. They must be withdrawn on an individual basis. Oh my gosh. We can't commingle them. Now, again, why? Because the IRS says so. I wish I had the answer to that, but we just have to be aware that you know, if, if we're 72, we've retired for a few years, and we still have a 401k out there with an old company, we have to make sure that we fulfill that RMD based upon the value of that 401k from the previous year and send that amount into the IRS to get their share. Otherwise, again, we could be subject to penalties. Now, it is conceivable that you may have forgotten about a 401k at a company. Mm-hmm. What, oh, yeah. what about that? What, what happens then? Well, hopefully, you know, hopefully we, we are receiving the statements, you know, the monthly statements, either in a print form or a email form. So hopefully the client hasn't forgotten about an old 401k. They should be getting some type of correspondence, you know, from that 401k administrator. So hopefully they, again, hopefully they've not, you know, forgotten right. or, or have, you know, lost it in a notebook or something like that. They should be getting correspondence quite regularly because, you know, just to that point, kind of on a side note, I get a call you know, every now and then from, from somebody said, Hey, you know, my, my, the second of my mom and dad just passed, how do we know if they have life insurance or how do we know how much life insurance they have? You know, mm-hmm. if, if, they, if mom and dad didn't have a binder put together, how would you know? I mean, you just grab the phone book and start right. with A and go all the way to Z. You know, I, what I usually do is just recommend to people, you know, jump into mom and dad's bank statements, you know, look back for the previous year. Did they, were they paying a premium to somebody? You know, that'd be one way of looking at it. So it's, it's on the same line of a 401k. If we forgot about, hey, yeah, I forgot about 30 years ago, I worked for XYZ company. I've got still got this 401k those companies should be sending out statements on a regular basis to show us the balance of those 401ks. So we, technically in the big picture, we shouldn't forget. Mm-hmm. So, okay. okay. All right. Where do you want to go next? Well, when it comes to the RMDs, the taxations, okay. One of them, you know, it's, this is something that people ask about, you know, how is this tax? Is this going to be considered capital gains or, or how is this taxed? So RMDs are 100% taxable as ordinary income. So it's just like we earned it. Right. We, we were right. working okay. W 2. So it's taxes ordinary income. It's not a capital gains tax as you would have maybe if you had a what they call a non qualified account. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's how they're taxed there. So, you know, whatever amount of money that we're earning, let's say, you know, between our, our Social Security and maybe a pension, whatever funds are coming in, again, that RMD is going to be going to put us into that specific tax bracket and we're going to be taxed on it accordingly. So one of the questions I'm asked is, you know, well, how do I calculate it? 
And again, we, we're just talking audio, you know, here, we're not doing any type of mm-hmm. you know, visual aid. Right. So there's this chart though, that the IRS has, it's called a uniform lifetime table. And it starts in, in with what they call distribution periods that are affiliated with each age. So for example, at age 72, the distribution period is 25.6. Now there's no quiz. We don't have to remember that. Okay. But basically what that means is let's say for example, that at 72 and at that, you know, um, distribution period of 25.6, let's say we had a hundred thousand dollar IRA, how they calculate that is they take the balance of your account from the previous year, December 31st of the previous year. They divide that by your life expectancy, the 25.6, Mm-hmm. And that result is your RMD. So in this case, 100,000 divided by 25.6 is a little over $3,906. So that would be the RMD required for that person's um, for that person's year, for that year. Then the next year, it goes down to 24.7 and so on. So, mm-hmm. that, so they're using a uniform table to calculate that. And again, the companies that are holding your funds will have those calculations as well. So that way we get the money sent to us that fulfills the RMD requirements set by the IRS. Which brings up a question here. Can you set it up with the company to automatically do this for you? Absolutely. Yes, ah, we, we can. You know, so so that way then it, it kind of relieves us of that burden. I mean, again, it's, you know, one of the things that, you know, we have in, in the database of, of my clients. Obviously, I'm, you know, I know the birthdays of all my clients because it has to be, um, you know, in the in the application from everything that everything mm-hmm. that we put together. So we get reminders of that. You know, I get a nice little reminder. And plus it gives me the opportunity to make sure I send birthday cards out to my clients and all that. But, you know, we know that in the year they're going to turn 72, that's where we're going to have that conversation. Okay. If you are owed, like for example, this $3,900, do you want that as lump sum? Do you want it once, once we, you know, realize the age of 72, do you now want this money coming to you systematically like a paycheck? Do you want it coming every month? So, so again, we can work with those, those companies and fill out a form and say, okay, we're turning 72, Let's turn it on right now and send that to me. Send me my annual RMD on a monthly or a quarterly or semi-annual or on an annual basis. So we can we can dictate how we want to receive the funds. And when you get those funds, can it be like a paycheck where your taxes are taken out? Already? Absolutely. Yes. Yep. They, they, they will set up. In fact, I believe it's, it's law for just about every firm out there who holds qualified monies that when they send it to you, I believe the federal mandatory withholding rate is 10%. So, because most people aren't going to be in the high, in higher, you know, and most people are going to probably going to be I too think. much less than that. Some people might be in a zero, but, you know, if somebody's in a higher tax bracket because they have a, an exorbitant amount of money coming in, you know, they can ratchet that up a little bit if they don't want to, you know, pay the IRS in April of each year. But, but yes, they, they can have the funds withheld. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yep. I yep. like that one. Absolutely. That way it's, you know, so one less thing not, to worry about. So far, I have not liked a lot of this stuff. I like that. <laughs> I know. It's hard to like really any of this, really. I mean, just, just having to be aware of it, because if you can imagine, if we don't like it now, think mm-hmm. what it'll feel like if we forget, right? It, it's like the line from, you know, Chevy Chase's movie Vacation, where, they, where he's picking up that station wagon. And <laughs> the salesman thinks he, when he says, you go, he goes, you think you hate it now, wait till you drive it. Right. I mean, it's just that, that phrase, it reminds me of the RMDs. It's like, okay, if you really dislike it now, wait until, you know, you see what happens if you forget. So don't forget, let's just play by the rules and we can complain about it after we get our RMD in our bank account. So what if you don't need the RMD? What if you are fortunate enough that you've planned well, you've saved and you Mm -hmm. really don't need the RMD? You know, it's, that's a, that's a great question as well. And it's one that I get, you know, quite often it's, you know, the IRS, again, once they get their share, they don't really care what you do with it. 
So that's usually a fun conversation that I get to have with clients. Again, if we're aging into this, if we're you know in our, our late sixties and we're just living off of Social Security and maybe uh, an inheritance or something like that, and we haven't taken money out of a qualified account, but that RMD is lingering over our head at seventy-two. I usually just ask the clients, you know, what are you going to do with these funds? And they're like, well, well, what should I do with it? You know, so this is where we're going to have a conversation. Okay, do you want to, you know, want to, do you want to have your RMD fund your vacation for that year? Um, do you want to gift it? You know, we actually went. There was I was looking back through this before we went live here. Um, I believe it was episode twenty-two where I had um, a guest on. His name was Phil Newton. And Phil is just a fantastic resource for people to kind of help them when they wanted to maybe be, you know, giving of their funds to help non-for-profits. And he talked about in that, we talked about in that episode, we talked about what they call a qualified charitable distribution, right? Where you're able to donate your RMD directly from your retirement account right to that charity. So, you know, that's another thing that you can do. You can gift it. Um, another great option for people especially for those who truly want to leave some type of financial legacy for their kids or maybe and or their grandkids in the form of, you know, how can we do this in the most tax efficient manner? I, you know, i.e. no IRS involvement, you know, ideally tax-free, you know, can we look at life insurance? Can we look at maybe a long-term care plan? You know, uh, you know, a legacy doesn't always have to be an X amount of dollars passed on to the kids. Uh, Another legacy could be passing on no debt to the kids. True. You know? So, you know, that we don't like to talk about, you know, I, I think that the two topics that people like to talk about the least is long-term care and the IRS. I think they're neck and neck <laughs> as far as the, the worst topic. So here I'm talking about both of them at the same time, right? Just rip the bandaid right off. Let's just talk about them both. Right? So, but so again, it's one of those approaches where if I don't need this for income, the question now goes into the second layer. Now, what do you want to do? How do you want to best leverage these funds outside of just simply putting them in your savings account and, and watching it grow at 0.01% every five years, right, you know, whatever right. we want to do. So, so we do have some options out there as far as what we want to do with it. All right. It's good to know though. There are some people who say, I don't really need it. What, mm-hmm. what can I do with it? I like that. Yep, absolutely. And, and there are, it, it's very refreshing because again, it's, it's very rare. And again, I don't mean this badly. Some people, you know, as soon as they retire, they need something to complement their social security payout. So they have saved, they have, they've sacrificed for decades. They've got, you know, X amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars in an, in an IRA account. They need to turn income on. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. We turn the income on more times than not, the amount of the income they're receiving already fulfills the RMD requirements. So they're good. There's nothing they really have to do. They're already in that, that flow. But again, if, if, if that's, if there is a little bit of excess left over, again, it's a conversation of saying, now that you've addressed your wants, I'm sorry, your needs, what about your wants? Is there something else we want to do with these funds once we've addressed our needs? All right. You were mentioning a little bit ago, leaving the kids no debt. Talk to me about beneficiaries and the importance of making sure they're right. That's that's a fantastic question. It's one of the things where it's, it's a good thing to think about because, you know, when you talk about husband and wife having an IRA, again, IRA stands for individual retirement account. So there's only one name on that account. So let's give the example of Bob and his wife, Mary. Okay. Bob's IRA is his IRA only, but Mary will probably be 100% of his primary beneficiary. So if Bob would predecease Mary, she can basically just take over as ownership of that IRA as though it's hers, right? So it just simply transfers from Bob's name to Mary's name. Okay. Mm-hmm. But now if we talk about beneficiaries from the standpoint of a non-spouse beneficiary, so now Bob has passed away. Mary takes over his IRA a few years later, then Mary passes away and they've got three kids. 
Now the three kids, let's say they're going to just going to receive the funds split into thirds. Okay. Mm -hmm. The new laws that just came out not too long ago, about a year, year and a half ago, said that now a non-spouse beneficiary must withdraw the assets from the inherited IRA within 10 years. It has to be completely exhausted. So that's another planning little tip that I share with my clients when I see IRA funds out there and we've got an income plan out there together. And I just have fun with clients. We talk about, hey, you know, are we planning on bouncing this last check to the undertaker? <laughs> <laughs> or might there be a chance we're going to leave some funds for the kids? You know, is, are they just going to get whatever's left over or we want to leave a set amount of money to them, maybe give them a financial boost when they're in their 40s and 50s and that sort of thing. So that's usually where I just kind of remind them of that saying, okay, if you're going to leave money to the kiddos, let's say there's three of them, keep in mind that when they receive these funds, they have to exhaust that account within 10 years. So chances are, if somebody lives a pretty full life, their kids, their adult children could be in their highest earning years and now it could potentially throw them into a higher tax bracket. Not everybody, but it could possibly. Right. So it's just one of those things where we have to be kind of aware of it. But on that same note about beneficiaries, when you mark an application, you can designate a beneficiary one of two different ways. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking primary or contingent. I'm talking how the funds should go to the beneficiaries, heaven forbid, they also pass away. So let me give you an example. Okay. One way in which we can designate a beneficiary is what we call per capita. Okay. Which means by total headcount or by a total number of individuals. So for example, in a per capita inheritance, let's say Bob and Mary and one of their kids die together at the same time, tragically in an accident or something like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. In a per capita situation, the IRA would be divided equally amongst the remaining beneficiary children. So in our example, there was Bob and Mary and three kids. Now the other two remaining children would receive the inheritance 50-50 divided equally. Okay. Mm -hmm. Some people are okay with that. The other option is what they call per stirpes. And per stirpes says by representation or by class. So in this example, should again, now both parents pass away and one beneficiary dies in a per stirpes situation, the percentage of that IRA that would have gone to the deceased child now goes to his or her beneficiaries. Got it. So now it can kind of follow the family tree, if you will, follows the bloodline. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for example, I'll give you a personal example between Rhonda and I, my wife, Rhonda is one of seven kids. Okay. They have, um, they grew up on a farm and uh, there's farm, you know, ground hundreds of acres of farm on her family. And the, basically the way it would be set, like, for example, let's say that it was set up for Rhonda to be uh, on a per stirpes inheritance. Heaven forbid something happens to Rhonda her share follows the follows the bloodline. So in other words, it would stay in the family and it would go to our sons, Cameron right. and Cade. Right. On a per capita basis, they wouldn't get anything. So that's why, again, it's it we got to ask those questions to mom and dad to say, okay, I need to talk tragically here for a second. But if one of your adult children, you know, passes away with you at the same time on a family vacation or something like that, what do you want their share? You know, how do you want their share to be split? So that's why we need to understand the difference between per capita and per stirpes. There's no really wrong way or right way of doing it. It's just a matter of, you know, which do you prefer of the two options? I was going to say, why would you not want to go per stirpes? Exactly. I, you know, I, I don't think I've come across too many. In fact, I can't really even think of one situation where per capita, it, ju it just might be, okay, well, maybe there's a situation where maybe the adult child doesn't have any, not married, doesn't have any kids. I mean, it, you know, it could just be, okay, just divide it you know, equally wrong some remaining children. So that might be a couple of examples or two. Okay. All right. So, yeah. so tell me more. 
Well, here's one more thing. I kind of mentioned this question at the beginning when I talked about, you know, one of the questions is how do I know if my assets allocated are appropriate for my RMDs? And we've kind of alluded to this before. This is where I really want to kind of make sure, again, reminding people not, not to try to beat the dead horse, but just really try to help people understand the significant difference between an account that has actual returns compared to average returns. Okay. We got to be so careful with this, especially when it's an account in which we are taking income from it. Mm-hmm. So for example, if we just, again, we're talking hypothetically here, but let's look back. If we look back at the 20 year period of the S&P 500 from January 1st of 2000 through January to, through, sorry, December 31st of 2019. Okay. It's 20 years. Mm-hmm. If you think back, if we took, if we take all those 20 years and we average the annual performance of each of those, you know, so we had a couple of good years. We know what happened in 2000, 2001, 2002, right. 2008, et cetera. But the rest of the years were pretty good. But if you just average the performance, it's about 5.6% average return. Okay. So out there, there's, there's a particular withdrawal method that was created in the nineties. And it was basically called this 4% withdrawal rule. Some right. people may have heard about this. Okay. It basically said that, okay, if you want to plan for a 30 year retirement and just to keep the math simple, you got a million dollars saved up and you want to withdraw 4% per year because you, I should say, you only want to withdraw 4% per year because you want to plan for 30 years. We're going to split the million dollars into a 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio to offset the volatility of the stock market and to kind of gather the safety of a bond market. Okay. That's all fine and dandy when it was created, but we're in a whole different environment these days. The 4% rule is, is kind of a, a very dangerous element to be in because interest rates are not what they were before. And volatility seems to be a lot greater and a lot more frequent than we, than we experienced before. But in that, in that situation, what I like to show people is, okay, if we follow that rule and I'm putting my money into an account that averages 5.6% per year, and I'm only taking out 4%. By simple math, at the end of 20 years, should we not have more money than what we started with? Mm -hmm. We sure should. Mm -hmm. But the problem of that is when we follow that method and put those funds into an account that is is exposed to volatility, by just following a simple, just looking at the simple numbers, over five years of those 20 years, we had negative returns in 2000, 2001, 2002, 2008, 2016. Just those five years of volatility would basically take a million dollar account when we're withdrawing 40,000 each year off that account, two thirds of the account's gone after the end of 20 years. And that's because of volatility. This is what I just kind of tell people. If you're going to have an account in which it's going to provide you income, whether it's by choice or or whether by law, by RMDs, you have to be very careful of what an account can do to you if volatility can play the role. Because we have to look deeper than just, well, this counts average 5.6% per year. Well, that's great. If I'm just building wealth and I'm not taking any money out of it, okay, well, I can kind of factor that over a 20-year period of time, it might have averaged 5.5%. You know, right, right. Perfect. But in an account that's averaging 5.6 and you're taking money out, we need to do one extra step of math and factor in the years of downside because those downside years, that volatility can kill income. So we have to be very careful in which we choose to hold those funds that you're going to create RMDs for us. So the IRA money, the 401k money, whatever the case may be, we want to be very careful. We've talked about this before in previous episodes. The power of zero right. comes into play. And it's very, very it's a very powerful ally to have, especially when we're taking money out to fulfill the RMD requirements set by the IRS. 
Tim, there is so much. I mean, you've made a lot of things much clearer, but there is still so much to ask. How can people reach you? They can reach me a couple different ways. You know, we can have a phone conversation if you'd like to pick up the phone and dial 309 291 0491. Um, email is always a great way to reach me as well. It's simply tim at thewhistleragency.com. And again, there's no T in Whistler. Still no T in Whistler. No T. <laughs> Not going to add it, are you? <laughs> Not going to add it. No, ma'am. <laughs> right. Well, folks, don't mess up. Look at your RMDs. Try to understand them. Talk to Tim. Make the RMDs work for you. Follow Tim's podcast to get the latest shows too and share them with people you care about. I'm Patrice Sikora. And let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Whistler While You Retire. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Whistler Agency. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment advisory and financial planning services offered through Simplicity Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance, consulting, and education services offered through the Whistler Agency. The Whistler Agency is a separate and unaffiliated entity from Simplicity Wealth LLC. This episode is designed to provide general information on the subjects covered. It is not intended to provide specific legal or tax advice and cannot be used to avoid penalties or to promote, market, or recommend any tax plan or arrangement. You are encouraged to consult your personal tax advisor or attorney.